For Moses writes about the righteousness that is based on the law, that the person who does the commandment shall live by them. But the righteousness based on faith says, do not say in your heart, who will ascend into heaven? That is to bring Christ down or who will descend into the abyss? That is to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed that he has heard from us? So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning. Much better than the 8.30 service. If you guys haven't met me yet, my name is uh, Alex Arguello. Uh, actually not a guest preacher. I'm, I'm one of the elders here at the church, but it's been a long time since I've preached. So maybe you're not used to seeing me up here. Last time I preached, it was back in October when we were out in the tent and it was freezing. So this is much better uh, for me up here, hopefully much better for you guys out there. Um, I went, what I felt like was a little long in the first service, so I'm gonna cut that intro right there and just jump right in. Today, we're continuing our series that's been titled Liturgy, where we're teaching on the different aspects of our order of service and explaining them, why we not only do them, but why we see value in them. Why do we welcome everyone? Why do we call us into worship? Why do we hear God call us into worship? Why do we confess sin? Why do we sing? all of those things. Why do we do it? Hopefully, as we've been teaching on these things, you've been able to understand with your mind the importance of a Sunday morning. That is our desire, that we would understand the importance of what we do and why we do it on a Sunday morning. And that's because God has called all of us to love him with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. So understanding what we do and why we do it with our mind, will then allow that love to move out into those other areas, but it's also what will keep our liturgy from drifting into a routine that's mindless, heartless, soulless, and it will keep it as a routine that is full of and led by the Spirit of God, which the Spirit of God wants all of us to know Christ and love Christ. So we've got through the first five pieces of our liturgy, I believe we have three left, but we've come to the centerpiece, we may say, the main event. Today is about preaching. So I'm preaching about preaching. Doesn't just include preaching, though. It would include hearing, right, which is the role that all of you play today and the role that all of us as the gathered people of God sit under every single week as Pastor Justin primarily preaches to us. Now, in a sense, answering the question of why we do what we do is simple, right? It shouldn't require, hopefully, 40-minute sermon. 
The reason why we do what we do is because God's word tells us to do it, right? So we preach the word of God because God's word tells us to preach. Now we're gonna jump into that, right? We're gonna define it. We're gonna talk about history of preaching. But ultimately, here is what I'm hoping we see by the end of this. Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, who was a prominent preacher and pastor in Wales and in England in the first half of the 20th century, he claims this. He says in a series of his lectures on preaching that preaching the word is the primary task of the church and of the Christian minister. I think he's right. Therefore, I would want to say that preaching is the primary task of a Sunday morning and the culmination of our liturgy. I plan to show us that with the rest of our time, so let me pray, and then let me preach. Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you that uh, you would call people like us into worship of you. We thank you that you invite us in here. Lord, but we know that you invite us in here for a purpose. You invite us in here to hear from you. Lord, so help us. Really, we have two things that happen today. There's one that is preaching, and then the rest of us are hearing, and we will not do either of those unless the Spirit of God works in our hearts, unless you give us your grace and your help. So we pray that you would give that for our joy, Lord, for our good, and for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. So part of me wishes that this was just a standalone sermon, that it wasn't part of the series that we're doing, because one of the dangers of what we're going to hear today is it could minimize the importance of everything else that we've heard in this series or even the rest of what we do at Sacred City in terms of our ministry. So let me just briefly be careful not to minimize the other pieces of our ministry. Pastor and author Timothy Keller in his book on preaching, he describes three different levels of preaching the word. He says level one is more informal communication of the gospel. That would be sharing the gospel with a coworker, with a neighbor, with our family members, or even preaching the gospel to ourselves. Hopefully that's happening. Level two is a similar but more formal preaching of the word, meaning it's communicating the gospel in a group atmosphere in a more formal way. So think lecturing, think Pastor Justin's podcast, maybe leading an MC curriculum, all of those things. And I would say, with that being level two, that that kind of level one and level two cover the rest of the ministry that we do here at Sacred City, which is why we do them, right? Back to Lloyd-Jones' statement, though, Preaching being primary, the question we still have is why would I want to magnify the importance of preaching? The way we do it here on a Sunday, why would we want to magnify that? What, level, what Keller calls level three, preaching of Christ. Well, we could start with just looking at church history, right? We could talk through the Protestant Reformation where men like Martin Luther and John Calvin, John Knox, prominent men of the Protestant Reformation. They were instrumental in why the Reformation changed the world and why it changed the trajectory of the church, moved it away from following false teaching and brought it back to the true gospel. These men wrote, they taught, they counseled, all of these important aspects of ministry, but the primary thing that these men did is they preached the word of Christ. We could also look at great revivals of church history specifically the Great Awakening, where men like George Whitfield, Jonathan Edwards, John Wesley, these men, again, all did these different aspects of ministry. They were great leaders, but what they did primarily is they were powerful preachers of the word of Christ. They primarily preached the gospel. 
But church history really isn't what we would want to stand on. That's not enough to go on. So let's just add some biblical history to that. Let's up the ante a little bit. Let's even go back more than 2,000 years ago before the church was started. And the Bible gives us some good examples of preachers. Noah was a preacher. Moses was a preacher. Isaiah, Jeremiah, the prophets were preachers. John the Baptist was a preacher. And as we know, Jesus himself was a preacher. If you've been with us for more than a year, you knew that we preached through the Sermon on the Mount from Matthew's gospel account. We preached 30 sermons over the course of eight months from just one sermon that Jesus preached. That's a pretty powerful sermon. There must be some power in what he did. The greatest sermon that was ever preached, we may say. But it didn't stop with Christ. He actually spent three years and taught 12 men what he did and how he did it. And then he sent out those 12 men to actually teach and preach the good news. And it didn't stop there. We then see in the book of Acts, this only continue. Before Christ left, before he ascended into heaven, he actually commissioned his followers to do what? Acts chapter one, verse eight says that they were to be witnesses unto him, unto Christ. They were supposed to preach Christ. And we quickly see Peter apply that command, don't we? In Acts 2, he preaches the first sermon after Pentecost. 2.14 says that Peter, standing with the 11, lifted up his voice and addressed them. Who was them? It was gathered people who needed to hear a message. And what did Peter do? He addressed them with preaching. He addressed them with a sermon. Acts 2.37 says, now when they heard, so when they heard preaching, when they heard a sermon, they were cut to the heart. The Holy Spirit used that sermon, it used that preaching to convict those people and cut them to the heart. And what was the result? We see that 3,000 souls were saved that particular day, saved because someone preached the gospel. So already we have history, right? We have rich history of preaching the gospel. So we maybe could say that that is a historical reason to magnify the preaching of the gospel. We could also say a biblical reason because we're pulling those examples from the Bible, but that still wouldn't be ultimately what we would want to stand on. What we would want to stand on because we believe in sola scriptura, we believe that the word of God is the highest of all authority because it's the only thing that is infallible. What we want to stand on is the clear teaching that scripture provides. For all of you nerds out there, we would want an exegetical reason or a theological reason why preaching is primary. That is what I'm praying we see from the text that we read today. Which this text, man, there is a lot in this text, but this is a topical sermon, so I can't dive into the full weight of this text, but hopefully one day, God willing, we will preach through the whole book of Romans in the life of this church, so we have to be patient. We have to trust God here this morning. But before we get into our passage, let me just define preaching. What do I mean when I say preaching? Because hopefully you're starting to understand that in the 21st century, if you're going to be communicating to people, it's important to define your terms. So in an article, and this should be on the screen, in an article on preaching, pastor and author Douglas Wilson, he defines preaching as this, the authoritative declaration of the word and will of God 
with the intention of revealing Christ to the hearers, to the listeners. I love this definition, so I want to just briefly, quickly take us through it, break it down. Authoritative declaration. We can think of this as the manner of preaching, meaning preaching is not a talk, it's not a TED talk, it's not a Tim talk. Is Tim in here? Those things are good, but that's not what preaching is. It's not an essay, it's not a lecture. Oxford Dictionary defines declaration as an explicit statement or announcement. Preaching is an announcement of something. What kind of announcement? One that has authority. What kind of authority? Well, Pastor Steve Lawson, in commenting on Paul's use of preaching in Romans 10 that we'll read, says, on a Sunday morning, when the word of Christ is preached, there are two preachers. One who is seen, which is the fallible man sent to declare Christ, but also one who is unseen, and that's Christ himself. If that is true, how much authority does Christ have? Justin talked about it last week, Matthew 28. Christ says, I've been given all authority in heaven and on earth. I've been given all authority in this world. I'll come back to that. But the second piece of this definition describes the content of preaching. It said the word and will of God. What's this mean? Well, that doesn't mean that a preacher stands up here and declares his own opinion of whatever topic he's interested in, right? Pastor needs to lose weight, so he preaches through the Daniel diet, right? <laughs> he thinks that his uh, congregation needs to hear about money, so he has somebody here and preaches through Dave Ramsey stuff, right? That stuff can be important, that can be helpful, but that's not preaching. What is preaching? Is preacher, a preacher stands up here, declares what the Bible says, what the Bible means, and what that, how that applies to people's lives. That's what preaching is. Lastly, from this definition, we get the purpose of preaching. Preaching should have as its intention the revelation of the Lord Jesus Christ. We should lay him out, who he is, what he's done to the hearers, to the listeners. Paul said it in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. I only preach Christ and him crucified. That was his primary goal. It wasn't to woo people with his lofty speech and wisdom, he said. It wasn't to entertain them. It wasn't to get people to like him. The purpose of preaching was to reveal Christ. It continues to be to reveal Christ, and that's all of him. To make known all of who he is, all of what he's like, what he has done, what he asks of us, and what he is in the process of doing right now. That's preaching. And if this is done, listen to what Steve Lawson says. If the written word is being preached, it's actually the living word that's being heard. If the written word is being preached, it's actually the living word that's being heard. If Christ is being preached, Christ and his will is being declared with authority, you can trust that it's not merely a man that you're hearing, but you are hearing from the Lord of, Lord, Lord of Lords and the King of Kings who is present in that man. I don't want us to get off track here, but did you hear that? If you're like me, every single week you have a lot on your mind coming in here, throughout daily life coming in here, you have a lot that's coming at you, right? All of us, if you're a Christian, you have the enemy that's accusing you in a myriad of different ways. You have the world that sometimes can have a vice grip on aspects of our life. 
right? We all have this old self. We all have this part of us, this fleshly part of us that wants to show its ugly face over and over again. And sometimes we can just wonder, is God even here? Right, is, is God even near to me? Is God even in this world? Is he doing things in this world? Right, is he doing something in me and with me? Well, what I just said, I'm hoping is an encouragement to you if that is you. Because week after week, you come into this gathering and if the gospel is actually being preached, Christ is here. He is near to you. He is doing something in the world and he is doing something in you and with you. All you have to do is come. All you have to do, like you're saying, rise and go to Jesus. Keep showing up. Keep trusting that if you're here, he's going to speak to you and he will. That is what we believe. And remember, it's not just anyone that we're hearing from, right? It's not just anyone that's speaking to you. It's the one who's been given all authority in heaven on earth. It's the one who is better. That's an amazing truth because that means that what's happening here today, if that's true, if Christ is actually speaking to you, then this is the most important and the most amazing place that you could ever be. Why would you wanna be anywhere else? When you can hear from the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings, the one who's been given all authority in heaven on earth. That's what's happening. So that's the definition that we're working with. Now let's finally get to our text. From this text, I want to show us three things that point to the primacy of preaching. So if you have your Bibles, you can open it up. I do have to apologize. We read five through 17, but I'm actually gonna start in verse one, which is another reason to just open up your Bibles. If you don't have some, they should be in the backs of the seats. Otherwise you should have a phone, hopefully with it on it. The first thing that I want us to see from this passage and how it relates to preaching is salvation, right? That's probably the easiest thing to see. What the apostle Paul is teaching the Romans in this passage is how salvation comes to a person, how true salvation comes to a person. So let's just start with the context, which we actually see back in verse one. It says, brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them is that they may be saved. So who is the they and the them, right? So that them and they may be saved. Well, that's the Jews. That's the Israelites. We know that because of what Paul actually went through in chapter nine. But specifically in verses 31 through 33, where he tells us in chapter nine, verses 31 through 33, where he tells us that Israel was pursuing righteousness, which we could see righteousness and salvation as closely related here, based on the law instead of faith in Christ. He says that they have stumbled over the stumbling stone, that stumbling stone being Jesus. Paul continues to flesh this out in the first few verses of chapter 10. So let's keep reading. Verse two, for I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God. They were passionate about God. They were passionate about what God could bring to them, their relationship with God. But he says here, but not according to knowledge. So there was something they didn't know. What did they not know? It says, for being ignorant of the righteousness of God. So there's something they didn't know about the righteousness of God. They didn't know where righteousness came from. So therefore, because they didn't know that, they knew they needed righteousness. They said, seeking to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who he believes. 
So that's the context. He got, Paul is speaking to these Roman believers about what Israel used to believe, what Israel used to think their righteousness came from. Now he's gonna talk about what, where does true righteousness come from, right? Where does salvation actually come from? So we're gonna skip verses six through eight and actually go down to verse nine. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that Christ, that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Now, this is again, one of those verses that I had in mind when I said, there's so much here that we could actually pull out, but we can't really get into that today. The main thing I want us to see here is that Paul just contrasted what the Jews believe and why they stumble, which is righteousness that comes through the law. He's contrasting that with what Christians believe and why they don't stumble, which is righteousness that comes through faith. In verse nine, he's telling us how faith is expressed, we may say. If one has true faith, a faith that results in salvation, they believe it in their heart, which is the Bible's way of communicating their inner being. Everything they are, they have, their mind, their will, their emotions, their very core. If they have that, if they believe it there and they confess with their mouth that Jesus is who he says he is, which is Lord, which is God, the great I am, the master of the universe, that's not He-Man. If you know who He-Man is, he's not the master of the universe. If you would have told me that when I was a kid, we would have been fighting because I loved He-Man. Still mad at my mom that she threw all my action figures away. But it's not He-Man, it's Jesus Christ. Right, so it says, if you believe and confess that Jesus is Lord and that he died, was buried, and on the third day rose again in fulfillment of the scriptures, right? He actually died for our sins and our, was our substitute to take on the punishment that we deserved. If that has happened, which is just two sides of the same coin, right? Conf true confession with the mouth, true um, belief in the heart, two sides of the same coin. Verse 10 tells us, for with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved, saying the same thing. We are justified or we're made right with God. God declares us righteous, which is the only way to be saved. We need a righteousness that's not of our own. It's a righteousness that God declares to us. And that's the righteousness of Christ. That's the only way to be saved. So again, Paul's contrasting. That's the exposition of this verses. Paul is telling us how we are saved. But what does that have to do with preaching being primary? Well, have you seen really since the pandemic has started all of these signs that say that healthcare workers are lifesavers? Have you seen these? It's this big push, right? To thank a healthcare worker because of the work that they do in caring for those dealing with the virus. Well, the reason that that message is being magnified is because of the importance or the seriousness of what those people do, right? People are dying, people are suffering. We want to bring awareness to the significance of what healthcare workers do because of the severity of the problem that they are striving to be the answer to. The problem is people are suffering and dying and these people have an answer to that problem. So let's give weight to what they do. We see the same thing here. Only magnify it by infinity or eternity is a better word. R.C. Sproul wrote a book called Saved From What? In it, he's answering the question of when we talk about salvation, what are we actually saved from? 
For time's sake, we won't get too deep into that, but what the Bible teaches or what our theology teaches is that we are saved from the wrath of God. Now, I, don't, I know we don't really like to talk about the wrath of God, right? We don't like to talk about God having any type of wrath, let alone the Bible, what the Bible teaches, which is that he will send sinners who haven't been saved through faith to eternal damnation, or what the Bible calls hell forever. How verse 11 says it is for the scriptures say, right? Not the guy standing on the corner with the megaphone and the sign that says sinners are going to hell if they don't repent, right? We probably think those guys are crazy and maybe they are a little crazy, but they're actually not the only ones saying this, right? It says here that the scriptures say everyone who believes in him, that's Jesus, will not be put to shame, That means that everyone who does not believe in him will be put to shame. Other translations say, will be disappointed. Meaning everyone, it doesn't matter our race, it doesn't matter our IQ, our religion, whether you believe there is a God or not, it doesn't matter if we feel like we are the oppressed or the oppressor, every one of us will one day stand before the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth, and he will judge us, and there's only two options. You will not be ashamed because you will spend eternity with him in heaven and then the new heavens and the new earth, or you will be ashamed because you will spend eternity without him in hell. Church, hopefully you are picking up what I'm putting down. I'm trying to lay out that there's a problem. The greatest problem that humanity has is not a virus. It's not poverty. It's not environmental pollution. It's not racism. It's not government overreach. It's not cancer. All of those are problems and they are significant problems and they should be pushed back against, but all of them fall short when they measure up against the problem of the wrath of God that's coming for a sinner. So how does that apply to preaching here? Let's look back at our text in verse 13. It says, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. We have the answer. But Paul continues, how then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how will they believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? So what's Paul doing? He's using rhetorical questions, right? Which are more like statements than questions. He's asking these questions that have such an obvious answer that he wouldn't even think about answering them himself. Which means this problem that we already laid out, that the wrath of God is coming for sinners, the wrath of God is upon sinners, has an answer. There's a way to avoid it. There's a way to be saved from it. And that answer is faith in Jesus Christ. It's calling upon the name of the Lord. So just like we see these people, if they want their life saved from the effects of the virus, that they have to go to the life-saving healthcare workers and get the answer. What Paul is saying here is if people want to be saved, if they're going to be saved from the wrath of God, they have to call upon the name of the Lord. And if they're going to do that, if they're gonna call upon the name of the Lord, they have to believe. And if they're going to believe, they have to hear the gospel. And if they're going to hear the gospel, they have to have someone who stands in front of them and authoritatively declares the gospel. 
authoritatively declares Christ and him crucified. So we see that preaching is primary because it's what God uses as the tip of the spear, the tip of the spear to bring salvation to sinners, the tip of the spear to bring salvation to the world, which is the answer to the problem that sin brought into the world, salvation. But is salvation all that matters? Does our text only speak to salvation of an unbeliever? Well, the main point that we see in the passage is that salvation comes through faith alone, right? It doesn't come through works alone. It doesn't come through faith plus works. It comes through faith. And as it says in verse 17, faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. The next important thing we see then, and therefore the second reason we see preaching as our primary task is he, is Paul is not writing to primarily unbelievers. He's actually writing to a church. He's writing to believers. We know that from back in verse one of this chapter where he calls them brothers, right? Brothers and sisters in Christ. And why this is significant is because it shows us that Paul's message here of faith in Christ being the answer to a sinner that needs to be saved is also the message that a sinner who has been saved needs to continually hear as they work out their salvation with fear and trembling. We say it all the time around here, right? The gospel isn't just a message that you hear and respond to one time at conversion, and then you can forget about it. The gospel is a message that we need to hear and to remember and to respond to over and over again for the rest of our earthly lives. This may be a more important reason we preach on Sundays because this gathering isn't first, is it primarily evangelistic or, or what we would say is missional. This is a covenant gathering, right? This is where God's people come together to worship him. It's where God meets with his people. And one of the main things that God wants to do in his people is set them apart or sanctify them. That's the rest of the Christian life beyond conversion. For the rest of our earthly lives, as we learn, for those of you who are, have been in an MC gathering and have done the gospel-centered life curriculum, for the rest of our life, we, there's two things that happen, right? We continually see two things that happen. First thing is we see the holiness of God more and more clearly, right? The holiness of God becomes clearer in our minds and in our hearts. The second thing we see is that, the, that our sinfulness also we see more and more clearly, right? It's not that we become more sinful. That would mean we're not a Christian, right? We actually should be sinning less when we were a Christian, but we see the depths of it. We see the wickedness. We see it becomes more offensive to us. We see how offensive it is to God. Those two things are happening. And as they're moving further and further away from each other, we know that there's only one thing that brings them together, right? Christ and him crucified. The cross of Christ is the only thing that brings them two together, back to our conversion. It was the only thing that brought it back then. It's the only thing that brings it now. Jesus and the work on the cross, that's the truth we grab a hold of by faith and faith alone. It becomes bigger. It holds more weight in our heart, our mind, our soul. So we never stop calling upon the name of the Lord. We never move on from faith. Another way of saying it is just like salvation comes through faith alone in Christ alone, sanctification comes through faith alone in Christ alone. This passage hits on that back in verse six. It says, verse six through eight, but the righteousness based on faith says, do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down, or who will descend into the abyss, that is to bring Christ up from the dead. 
But what it does say is the word is near you. It's in your mouth, it's in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim. Now, this seems weird at the first reading, right? It's interesting what Paul is talking about here, but basically what he's doing is he's setting up what he told us in verse nine, right? That if you believe in your heart, if you confess with your mouth, he's saying, if you want to be saved, don't think you can go up to heaven and bring Christ down to accomplish that. Or don't think you could go down into the abyss, right? To the deepest parts of the earth and bring Christ up to accomplish that. That's not where it comes from. That's not how it happens. Then he reminds them that true faith, which again is how one is saved and how one is sanctified, is near them. It's in their heart. It's in their mouth. He's saying, you have it. It's already there. If you're a believer, it's there. Don't go looking for it somewhere else. Don't go looking for it back in the law. Don't move on from faith and go on to works. Don't trust in a righteousness that is of your own, but trust in the righteousness of Christ. Believe in your heart, confess with your mouth until he returns or calls you home. That's where righteousness comes from. So unbelievers need to hear the word of Christ for salvation and believers need to hear the word of Christ for sanctification. So we preach and want to magnify preaching because as Paul says, how is one to hear without one preaching? How is one to hear if there's not a preacher? So we would say, how is one sanctified primarily without hearing the word of Christ being preached week after week? So that's salvation, that's sanctification. And lastly, and even in closing, we see shepherding and actually jumped off the page in the first service. I didn't realize there was three S's. There's three S's here. Shepherding. This is highly connected to what we have already seen from this passage. But if we see here, Paul ends his line of questioning with even another level. If one is going to be saved or sanctified, they have to believe. If they're going to believe, they must hear. And if they are going to hear, they have to hear preaching. The last level is a preacher has to be sent. It says, and how are they to preach unless they are sent. I think it's important here to see that the word Paul uses for preaching comes from the Greek word caruso, which means to lift up one's voice, to announce, to proclaim, to declare. Here's the context Paul had in mind. At this time, remember the Roman empire was in power and the head of the empire was Caesar. Well, Caesar, who Roman citizens would call Lord, it was actually a crime to not call him Lord, had these men who he called heralds. They didn't have social media back then, right? They didn't have TV or newspaper to get the news out. So they used these men called heralds. Here's what it would look like. Caesar wanted the people of the empire to know something important. So he would send these men out with that important message and they would announce it. They would gather people around them and it would usually start out with this. Hear ye, hear ye. This day, Caesar so-and-so, Lord so-and-so, and then they would make the announcement. That's what Paul has in mind here. A man being sent by the true Lord, not Caesar, by Christ the Lord, with, the new, with news to announce to a gathered people who need to hear that news. 
Yes, for evangelism's sake, for missional sake, so that people who have never heard the gospel can hear it, but also for discipleship's sake. Again, week after week, we come in here as the gathered covenant people of God. We are actually called out of the world and are called into the gathering to worship the one true God. Part of that worship is sitting under the preaching of the word of Christ, where we are being taught the whole counsel of God where we're being taught to observe all that Jesus commands us, where we're being reminded of Christ and the work that he's done and what that means for all of life, which sometimes that's going to include politics. That's going to include sex. That's going to include relationships. That's going to include education. That's going to include money. You know, all the stuff that you wish we probably never talked about up here but all of those things are part of life. And the gospel, the gospel of Jesus Christ is not just for salvation, but it's for all of life. That's why we hit on those things. And all of that is a huge piece and the primary piece of how a sheep of the flock of God is shepherded. If you know anything about sheep, sheep are fed, they're protected, they're cared for. We may say they're loved by a shepherd. It would not go well for sheep if they didn't have a shepherd. The same goes for the Christian. It would not go well for any of us without shepherds. And we we believe that it would not go well for us without shepherds who feed us with the word of Christ, protect us with the word of Christ, love us by preaching the word of Christ, all of it. So the third piece of why we see what happens in this pulpit on a Sunday morning as so important to us and why we see it as the primary task we have is because God has sheep that need shepherding. And he's called, or what the Bible just told us, he sent the elders of this church to do the shepherding of the people of this church. And he sent us to do that faithfully. And faithfully means first and foremost, preaching the word of Christ faithfully. Now I wish we could say we've always done that perfectly, but we haven't. We're all fallible, weak, fallen, finite men who may continue to fail at that. And we may fail in who we approve of to preach the word of Christ here sometimes. And the Bible says one day that we're going to give an account for how faithful we were in shepherding the flock of God. But you, as the congregation, as the hearers of the preaching, know and trust and hopefully be encouraged that God has chosen to use fallible, weak, fallen, and finite men for that task. And know that he does it so that the actual power would not come from us as elders or us as preachers, but it would come from the Holy Spirit working through the decisions that we make in the words that we speak. Now I know that that may be hard for some of us, maybe many of us. I know that What culture has kind of done is it's trained us to reject or withhold our trust 
in authority. I know that if there is this distrust in authority or distrust of the ones who are in authority, it makes it very difficult to receive anything from, that comes from that authority. Well, if that is where we are at, do you see how it may be difficult? You have some difficulty with this passage, right? You see salvation, sanctification, and being shepherded necessitates gospel preaching. But it also, salvation, sanctification, and shepherding also necessitates gospel hearing, gospel receiving. So if we have this issue with authority, my prayer for all of us is that our trust in authority in general, and especially the authority of this church would be restored, but more importantly, is that our trust in the written word of God and the living word of God would be restored because that is who maybe we are not trusting. Verse 15 continues with, as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. That's a weird verse. (laughs) What's it saying is because how do we go out? How are we sent? What do we need to do to go out and preach the gospel to the masses is we need to walk, right? We need to go. So how beautiful are the feet? Not because that person in and of themselves is beautiful. It's because the message, it's because who they are preaching of why it's beautiful. So don't be robbed of that beauty. Don't be robbed of the beauty of the preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ because you can't hear it. Take it in. Receive it. Feast on it. Week after week, no matter what's going on in your life, no matter what relational issues you may have, no matter what's going on in the world, come in here and hear from Jesus Christ. Come under his authority. Come under his teaching. Come under his shepherding. Don't look to me. Don't look to any other preacher that's up here, but see us as a window, right? Somebody to look through to see the one that we actually need to see. Let's pray. God, we thank you again for how you show up. We thank you for how your spirit works. We need more of that, Lord. Like I said, we're weak, we're fallible, we're finite fallen people. Who have, there's only one way that we can be made right with you. There's only one way we can be united with you. There's only one answer to the problem of a wrathful God coming for sinners and that's salvation through Jesus Christ. Right? And that happens by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. So all we need to do is receive it right? As we sang earlier, all we need to do is feel our need for him. So remind us of that. Remind us of the work that you've already done. Lord, again, thank you for the truths that were shared today. We ask that you would bring them from our head to our heart, that you would apply it to our life, that we would look differently when we leave here because of the work that you did today. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.